myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words that maybe Good evening, welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. Delighted to welcome a good friend of mine, Ian Murder, onto the show. How are you, Ian? It's been a while, Steve, hasn't it? I think a man called Mike Lashley owned the club last time I was on. Yes, definitely, yeah. Wow, I mean, we had uh, we had some great chats back in the day of Toon Talk Podcast, which was the Indeed. very first Toon Podcast that was ever uh, invented. And a big shout-out to the guys who uh, put us together on that show. We had a great time. We had uh, many shows. We used to do uh, at least one a week, I think it was. And it, That's was, right. uh, it was great, great, great days. But great to have you back on and, and happier times, Ian, as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think Newcastle fans... Need to keep perspective, you know. Yes, they've only lost two games, but the two games they've lost have been against two outstanding sides. Yeah, oh, 100%, mate. And, um, yeah, lots to talk about tonight uh, on the show. Um, first and foremost, just, just a little introduction to those people who watch NUFC Matters who don't know you. Um, you're a journalist, Ian. Who, who do you write for? Um, uh, I've been freelancing now for three years after, my goodness, who haven't I written for... I've been uh, covering the Northeast clubs now over 30 years, well over 30 years, in fact. Uh, I, you tend to see my stuff now in The Sun, The Mirror, The Express, The Star, and uh, 442. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah, well, a lot of experience, and you've witnessed a lot of the ups and downs. And uh, not, not too many grey hairs either. And not too many grey <laughs> hairs at all. But yeah, I mean, look, let's 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 look at the season. Um, you know, last season, first of all, just just give us your you know your thoughts on 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 the the miracle of of last season because Eddie Howe turned perennial strugglers into the the great escape artists, and then last season. Um, set about the job and and wow, you know, Champions League, Carabao Cup final. What was that like for you, Ian, watching that after watching 14 years of Mike Ashley's uh, regime? Yeah, listen, I mean, as you probably are aware and a lot of fans are aware, I, I'm a good friend with Steve Bruce. I have been for many, many years and uh, I think he, he was he was dealt a tough uh, set of cards. The, Eddie Howe's done a magnificent job, but it was the moment that Ashley left, you know, the storm clouds lifted from the club and and it was like a weight off the players' shoulders as well. They they ran out to cheers rather rather than waiting for the mistake and the Ashley the anti Ashley chance. So it was a very, very different environment. Now that's to take absolutely nothing away from Eddie Howe. He's a fine, fine manager. He's done a terrific job. He's uh, I, I actually I can remember interviewing him when he was Bournemouth manager a few years ago. And I always thought he was destined for the Arsenal job after Wenger left, you know. And so, you know, I'm not surprised he's done well. I am surprised he's done as well as he has. Did Newcastle overachieve last season? Of course it did. It's almost unprecedented, Steve, for, for a side to be struggling the previous year and uh, qualifying for the Champions League. What I will say, and this again is to, nothing to undermine Newcastle's achievement. They were fortunate in that three of the three of the elite had poor, poor seasons, i.e. Chelsea, Liverpool and Tottenham. But Newcastle were good enough to take advantage of that. Yeah, certainly were, mate. Certainly were. And, um, you know, this season, of course, 
is always going to be difficult because, as we know, fans' expectations have risen. And uh, I would imagine that the owners' expectations will have risen as well because once you get a taste of Champions League and a cup final when you're an owner, um, sometimes you know, sometimes the you know the perspective goes it goes out of your mind, and you think, well, actually, you know, anything below that's failure. And and mm-hmm. I can imagine that this is going to be a tough season for Eddie Howe, and he needs to bounce back after those uh, two defeats. Yeah, I mean, I think we we don't know we don't know how the owners would react to tough times, do we? Listen, you're going to have to be a pretty good side to finish in the top eight this season. Never mind the top four. You know, you just have to look at Newcastle's opponents on Saturday. Brighton, I think, they, you know, they finished with a sixth or seventh last year. What a fantastic football side they are. So, you know, again, let's have perspective here. Yes, Manchester City are good, but, you, you know, as I say, sixth or seventh place wouldn't really be failure if you look at the bigger picture. Mm. I mean, for us, it's about keeping your feet on the ground and, yeah. and and just having that little bit of you know having that little bit of common sense as a supporter. But unfortunately, you know that doesn't often go hand in hand common sense with football fans. And I did notice um, after the Liverpool game, certainly on social media, Ian, you know, a lot of people starting to criticise how having a pop at how that's changed. Things that's changed the, the the whole dynamics of things now. In the past, you go down the pub, which people still do. You'd have a chat with your mates. You'd give an opinion. But now people are putting it out onto social media, and this does get picked up by people at the club. We saw that with Bruno last week. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, listen, I uh, I'm not I'm not Twitter's greatest fan, or X's greatest fan, as as we're meant to call it these days. And I always think uh, social media is a channel for the unimportant to feel self-important. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, we we should take a large amount of the stuff that's on it with it with a pinch of salt. That Liverpool performance, I think, a lot of people are too ready to look for scapegoats. Now, I think there's been one massive, massive factor to be overlooked from that game, Steve. I mean, it, it sparked it sparked so many so many talking points, but the one thing that hasn't really been spoken about was the. Um, Performances, not not just of uh, Nunes, whose finishes were terrific. They were Shearer like, weren't they? So but uh, but you, Harvey Elliott turned in one of the best half hours I've seen for a long, long time, and, jo- and Diego Jota as well. They came on the 58th minute. Now I know a lot of Newcastle fans are pointing to the Newcastle substitutions, but I think it, Liverpool began to rest control when Elliot and uh, Jota came on because Endo and surprisingly McAllister, I thought had been pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so let's look at those substitutions first before discussing the Eddie Howe substitutions, which have come in for criticism. Some of it justified, I think, because those minutes from 58 to 73 minutes, yes, Newcastle had chances, but I, you just felt Liverpool were re-energised because, as I said, I thought they did very, very well. I think Joe Linton, who was the best of the, the midfield triumvirate, needed to be careful about bookings because he was, you know, he, he was getting stuck in, as they say. Now, Tonali, I know the fans love him and, and he's an outstanding player. He does give the ball away a little bit too much and he, 
I think just before his substitution, I think he gave the ball away two or three times. And I think that, you know, and I think that was one of the reasons why Eddie Howe took him off as well. The substitution, which you find very, very hard to justify, was, of course, uh, Harvey Barnes coming on for Anth Gordon, who was magnificent on the afternoon. Now, I think, and you can count on one hand the amount of mistakes Eddie Howe's made in the last 18 months, two years, but I think they were pre-programmed substitutions, Harvey Barnes and Callum Wilson for Gordon and Isaac. Isaac, by the way, did very, very little in the second half. But, yeah, so I thought they were pre-programmed. And really, you sh- with hindsight, I don't think Eddie Howe would have brought off Gordon. Having said that, there was a moment, not long after the two substitutes had come on, which was almost a, a replicate moment of what happened in the, in the Aston Villa game when Harvey Barnes went down the left, squared it to Wilson. Wilson scored this time. Harvey Barnes went for glory instead of squaring it to an unmarked Wilson. Had that gone in, it would have been a, a very different story. But as I say, I think too little has been made of just the imp- of the impact Harvey Elliott and uh, Jota made to that game. I'd agree. I, I mean, that's what I've said this week. Uh, you know, on, on the shows um, leading up to ours, and and I yeah. think I think Salah dropping into midfield as well changed it. You know, just that little tactical change. Fair play to Klopp. You've got to give credit to you Klopp. Too. Absolutely. And we weren't playing. We weren't playing an amateur team here or a non-league team. This is Liverpool. This is a. This is a. You know, a team which has got a bit of a hex over Newcastle as well. Yeah. And, and and Eddie Howe's track record against Jurgen Klopp's teams is very poor. Uh, he's only had one win, of course, with with Bournemouth against them. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got to be honest. I, I agree, and and, and I, you know, I agree with everything you've said with regards to those substitutions. I think as well, just you know, it's fine margins. You know, if if you know Almiron's shot goes in, if Allison doesn't palm that, you know, away from the goal and he palms it into his net, Newcastle go two 0 up, and it's a different story. But but that's not what happened. And if the ball hadn't bounced up a backside and you know, gone in past Pope, you know, Newcastle get a 1-1 draw, which would have still felt, by the way, as if we'd been beaten. But it ultimately, would. but but ultimately, you know, losing that game, it was, I think we all left the ground really shell-shocked, Ian. And, and but look, it's Liverpool, put it into perspective. Um, you know, we're still, you know, of, of those results of Aston Villa, Manchester City away and Liverpool at home. Newcastle have got the same points, got slightly better goal difference than they had this time last season. We need now to to, to put those games behind us and focus on on Brighton international break and then and then Brentford and hopefully pick ourselves back up. But yeah. um, interesting the midfield three, isn't it? Because he's gone for Tonali, he's gone for Bruno, and he's gone for for Joe Linton, which I think a lot of us a lot of us probably expected. I mm-hmm. think. I think the person who I feel hard done by, you know, is, who's hard done by, is Elliot Anderson because he had Absolutely. a wonderful, he had a wonderful yeah. preseason, and um, even in the substitutions at the weekend, Longstaff still gets in before him, and then Anderson. I felt that was a bit of a strange. I almost felt as if because we've got five subs now, um, I almost feel like managers, not just Eddie Howe, feel like they've got to make them in because right. we've got a five subs. We better put them all on. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, we're talking about. New, a new era in football, aren't we? With uh, with mm. nine players on, on on the bench, I do think that's the case. And uh, you know, yes, you've got to keep the squad happy, but does that have to be to the detriment of a of a player who was flying in in um, in Gordon? Because you you could actually see the body language of uh, Trent Alexander Arnold when Gordon came off. 
you yeah. could see him visibly relax. It mm-hmm. was very similar, actually. And again, it's a point that's been forgotten. Just before the Newcastle goal, uh, Diaz, he'd, um, he turned he turned Kieran Trippier inside out. No easy task, forcing Nick Pope into a pretty good save. And I was a little bit surprised that he was the one sacrificed to bring on the extra defender following the sending off because you could see he, he was going to give uh, Kieran Trippier a tough afternoon as well. So, again, it's, we're talking fine margins for, for both sides, but, you know, that that's the nature of Premier League football in the modern era. Can those, can those three play together? Do you think they'll find a way? I, I've made a point on the show over the, over the first couple of weeks that, you know, a lot of people are getting on Bruno's back, saying that he's not the player mm. that he was, he's struggling. A lot of people are getting on Almiron's back, saying he's not the player he was. My mindset with that is that last season, when Bruno, Trippier and um, Almiron linked up in that little triangle, mm-hmm. a lot of our positive play came from that, and Almiron hit that rich vein of form. But I feel, because we put Tonali into the middle of it, I feel that they still haven't found the best way of playing the two together. You know, obviously we've got Joe yeah. on the on the left of it. But yeah. I think Bruno and Almiron are suffering because of Tonali being in there. And I think that's where the issue lies. I think... You either play Bruno or you play Tonali, and I think you need a Sean Longstaff or an Anderson in there with 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 Long with with Joe Linton and Bruno. Well, quite possibly. I mean, I've talked to some of the Middlesbrough fans saying you can't judge your side until the transfer window is shut and you find out who's coming and going. And it's it's the same with Premier League teams. You know, we're talk we're at the embryonic stage, aren't we? You know, mm. they're all new to each other, and nobody really knows what yet what the best midfield is at football you know we as fans as journalists we all play football on paper and we we write down what we all think is the strongest lineup steve yeah. and we don't know if it is who knows you know it, it could be it, it could be the fa- they find the best system without one of the star players it remains to find out what i would say uh, is bruno hasn't been the same player this year since his ankle knock you know he um, he struggled a little bit last season, and uh, he's he's not at his best at the moment. I think he had a, a a good driving run in the second half, which looked like the old Bruno. But uh, you know, yes, he gave the ball away for the goal, and but do sorry about that. Um, right. Should should he be should he be dropped? I don't think so yet. But having said that, there should be no player in that side, however his price tag. However, his pedigree, who should be undroppable. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I made a point on a, an earlier show about, um, you know, Bruno's had a lot of changes in his life. And, yeah. you know, he's been he's got married. I'm not saying that that's the, happiest, <laughs> that's the happiest time of your life. Yeah. But, but on the other side, he's got he's got kid, you know, he's got a child. And, yeah. you know, we know as parents that can change things massively in, in, in the house. You know, you, yeah, you know, lots of the dimensions of how you are at home, but also that, you know, bringing in another player who you've now got to learn to play with this player is, is part of it. We know he had a bad week with, you know, you know, responding to a tweet and, um, you know, obviously the club dealt with that internally, but, but ultimately all of these things do add up. And, and what we've got to remember is football as a human, they're not just, they're not robots, they're human. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would imagine if we're, we're talking in six months' time, Steve, mm-hmm. then there will probably only be a couple of ever presents in, in that side. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not just saying because of injuries, but there will be times when all three of those midfielders we're talking about will be will be out of the side. I suspect for Joe Linton it will be when he gets <laughs> gets up the bookings totted up. And, <laughs> but uh, you know, to me, he he's the most important of, the, of those three midfielders because of the the aggression he gives to the side and the drive. And but yeah, listen, uh, I I asked Eddie Howe after the game about the substitutions and he you know obviously used the word hindsight which is the biggest word of football isn't it really but he made it one point he said you know he knows what quality he does have on that bench and he trusts that quality mm-hmm. so you know when he threw on those players he believed they they wouldn't just steady the ship he believed they would have a massive impact now they didn't this time but we saw last year. It's funny that you know all our, all, all our all our views, all our, our assessments. They almost change, you know, week to week. If you remember before the Villa defeat, fans would say, "Why is Sean Longstaff in the side?" Then his reputation soared when he was out of the side. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, if you'd asked every Newcastle fan, and they've got to be honest here, would Gordon have been in the side for Saturday, Sunday? Sorry. They probably wouldn't. More people would have started with Barnes. So we, you know, Almiron last year, everyone's raving about him. So we are changing. You know, the, at the moment, he's not a scapegoat particularly, but at the moment, people are talking openly about leaving out uh, Bruno Gimeres. So this is going to happen to to all of those players. You know, I- Isaac. There's a is, there's a debate about him, isn't there? Because you know, Wilson certainly isn't striker number two. They seem very much as as equals by by the management, so they are all going to have peaks and troughs as, as the weeks and months go by. Interesting that because um, I screenshotted something off Sky the other day, um, which which can we can debate here. Yeah. There's Isaac versus Wilson Premier League since the start of last season. This is this doesn't take into account uh, the game at the weekend. Yeah. But, um, appearances thirty three for Wilson, twenty four for Isaac. Uh, 19 goals for Wilson, 12 for Isaac. Mm. Touches per 90 minutes, uh, slightly better for Isaac on that one. Um, percentage of touches in the box, 25% for Wilson, 17% for Isaac. So much here, that's where it counts. Shots per 90 minutes, 3.59 for Wilson. Again, he's ahead in that, 2.93 yeah. for Isaac. On target, 1.82, 1.52. And dribbles, well, you know. 3.9, 1.7ZAC's better with a with yeah. a dribble. Probably probably that um that game last season where he went down the byline, beat about five players and crossed for Jacob Murphy. But um yeah. yeah, slightly better stats for Wilson. I mean, stats, stats is is what everybody seems to go with now. But yeah. um, I mean, well, that, would, is it time to give is it time to give Callum a start? Uh it wouldn't surprise me if he started mm. at, at Brighton. Uh I think there's one stat that that's not mentioned there. He is the Premier League's top scorer since April the first. Yes, I think it's it's twelve goals. I think uh, has Haaland now got twelve, or he might be on eleven. But yeah, he's been outstanding, and uh, you can't really separate the two. You know, a lot, a lot of fans, and I'm not just talking Newcastle fans, football fans in general. They, it's a case of out with the old, in with the new. They want to see the new signings. They want to see the big money players, but it. You know, football is played on grass, not paper, as, as I've just said. And and there are going to be times when when Longstaff or Anderson are, is going to be the best option in midfield, when Wilson's the best option on on uh, up front. It wouldn't surprise me at all. 
I think there will be a couple of changes, and that's mm. just my own personal view. It wouldn't totally surprise me if uh, Wilson comes in for that game. Yeah. Yeah, I would be, um, you know, I, I would be very supportive of that. I think it, you've got to mix and match. You've got to give people a yeah. chance. And yeah. Um, yeah, Callum Wilson, you know, certainly is, um, you know, somebody who you would like to see back in the firing lane, back, back scoring goals with that record that he's got. Um, we've been the focus of a TV documentary, Ian. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've found it interesting. I don't know whether you've managed to catch the first yeah. three episodes. The, the final one, of course, is on uh, this coming Friday on Amazon. What have you made of that? Uh I think Newcastle fans will love it, do love it. I think the rest of the country are a little bit unimpressed. Mm. I think it is very much glossy, glossy brochure material. Uh, it's clearly under the editorial control of the Newcastle hierarchy, or at least has certainly had a say about it, you know. I mean, you know, do, do people want to see the rise and rise of a, of a club? Yes, Newcastle fans do, but... You know, the, the famous Sunderland documentary where the, even, you know, relegation, the the, the Will Griggs, that, that was real drama. This one does seem a little bit stage managed. Of course, it's interesting because it's a, it's a club I report on. It's a club you support. and But it, it, it I think it's very much for the locals and for people who are very pro Newcastle. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it, it, it's had moments. There's bits yeah, about, I, I, I love it. I loved episode three, and obviously we've just spoken about Callum and, and about yeah. Alexander. Uh, but you know those two in the competition, and, and of course honesty, they don't. Nobody wants to sit on the bench. You know, nobody wants to sit there. But you've got an insight into what the players. I'd love to have had a bit more of that. I would love to have heard a little bit more from you know the players. But it's been very focused on Amanda and Mia Dad yeah. and Darren Eels. I must business. tell you this, Steve. Uh, I, I was mm. at the prem- I was at the premiere uh, at the Tyneside Cinema and. Uh, the players were there, and we were interviewing Sean Longstaff. And of course, that uh, the, the there'd been a few clips that had come out, hadn't there, before the before the launch. And he was saying all oh, the players were in stitches that they showed the clip of uh, Eddie Howe before Manchester United because it, it, they said they, they managed to find the one the one segment where he's swearing because he's he's a rarity in football management. He's he's not too foul mouthed. He's not foul mouthed at all. I've never heard him swear. What's he like? Um, I mean, obviously, we do a press conference review. I, I think one of the one of the good things about the you know the, the club under the, this ownership is there is at least some transparency from the press conferences, and we've mm-hmm. often just had to rely on great journalists like yourself and and um, you know Gibbo and, and and Alan Oliver going back in the day, you yeah. know, to, to give us to give us the column inches to find out what's being said. But the club now release the press conference on yeah. YouTube, and they also yeah. release it on their official website. And, and for us as fans, it's fantastic to, to not only hear what Eddie's got to say in full, but also mm. to hear the questions that journalists like you were asking. And I think has that put has that put you guys under a little bit more pressure because people know people maybe not know who you are, but they yeah. certainly know what what questions are being asked now. Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question, Steve. You don't first of all. We've had cameras all the time, so you're not really conscious mm. of them. From a, a print journalist's point of view, and I, my, my career has main, mainly been in newspapers. We would prefer it wasn't it wasn't out there. We, you know, but listen, the world's moved on. The world started moving on. I was around before uh, Sky Sports News, before the internet, before social media. That was when people Good used to buy. Days. 
in the good old days when people used to buy newspaper for news, when you used to get Russell Cushing would ring up the Chronicle and say, uh, can you just put the paper, there's a pitch inspection. And it, people would get the late night find of the paper uh, to, to, to find out if a match was going to be on or not. So things, things have changed so much. But um, listen, I mean, Eddie Howe is intelligent. He's articulate. He's got his views. He's pretty straight back when it comes to the transfer activity. Uh, he started off very unimpressive when he was asked about the Saudi situation. Now, he, he again, he, he blanks that in a very polite way. Uh, you know, he said, that's not my, that, that, that's not, not my responsibility. And, and he's right. But he gets on well with everyone. He's, um, he's yeah, he's, he's a very decent human being and a more than decent football manager. Yeah, it's interesting you touch on the Saudi stuff because, you know, we've had a lot of journalists on the on the platform. We always do. And, um, you know, Ben Jacobs been very vociferous about the Saudis. Um, we've had, you know, Ross Gregory as well on, on the show quite a bit. Uh, just saying that it would be better if we ha- if we heard more from the Saudi ownership. Would you like to hear more from, from Yasser, maybe a, a news conference and, and get a chance to have a 30-minute a chat with him where the questions were coming out? I mean, you can see, I guess, why he probably would never do it and, and just do these yeah. staged interviews where he flashes his inside of his jacket and it's black and white, which is great PR. But would you like the opportunity to have half an hour with him in the press room and just ask him a few questions? To be to be fair, I think that you can say that about all the owners. Uh, yeah. not, I'll put my cards on the table. I would rather the club was not owned by the Saudis. I'm a I'm a member of Amnesty International. Yeah. I, I, I find it very very difficult to reconcile. Now, yeah. without getting in that argument, what I would say is this: when Newcastle's last great great period, well, in in, in the Premier League era, was was when Sir John Hall was uh, was in charge there when. Newcastle were everyone's second favourite team. Mm-hmm. Now, I love that. Newcastle were successful and they were loved. Mm-hmm. Now, now, it's just a pity that Newcastle, they are going to be successful, but they, there is going to be this controversy surrounding them all the time. It's going to be to the outside world, not so much Newcastle, but tinged with, with, with this controversy. I prefer everyone to say, isn't, this, isn't it wonderful that this great, great club are, are back among the elite again with, without that. Yes, I'd like the success, but, you know, give me multi-billionaire owners with, without the human rights record of the Saudis, if, if I'm honest. Yeah, I can understand it. We've had these discussions on here, and, and that's what this platform is all about. We, we're open to debate and listen to what people have got to say. Um, I've always, I've always had the counter argument and said, "Look, you know, we were like that once as a as a country, not in our time, Ian, mm. but but obviously we were given the opportunity to change, and hopefully Saudi will change, and that might change people's uh, opinions." But um, I understand it, and. Um, it is what it is. Newcastle have got, you know, the, the, the Saudis behind them and we just have to wait and see how things develop. But I've got to be honest, I think it would be nice to hear from them. It would be good to hear more from them uh, and maybe we will uh, in due course. Uh, to, be, to be fair, we had an interview with um, uh, with Darren Eels just about three weeks ago and mm-hmm. uh, Dan Ashworth came in to join him for a little while. We got shown around the uh, the, the training ground since the, since the £10 million refit. Yeah. And, you know... They're very impressive characters, and I think we're going to hear more from them. Yeah, I mean, they are building a big, you know, a big corporate, you know, 
like you know commercial stuff. You know, a lot of people coming in. Silverstone's come in, uh, and yeah. of course, on episode four, um, which was leaked, which some people have seen. Obviously, we're going to hear yeah. about the the infamous Adidas deal, which yes. is going to be reincarnated in September. Um, why, why, I mean, why on earth did Newcastle ever get rid of Adidas? It was a, it was a natural fit, wasn't it? Yeah, you know. it was. It was. I mean, that you know, that's just as important, though, isn't it? Ian building that kind of team behind the scenes on the on the commercial side and on the football side as as building the team. I'll tell you. I'll tell you something funny. Going back, to, you, you you'll probably remember it in in the eighties when uh, Greenalls were the mm-hmm. sponsors. You couldn't find a green old pub for love nor money in the whole of the northeast, and that yeah. was just typical of Newcastle United back then. You know, I mean. You know, I've, I've talked about the 90s, you know, the granddad shirt kit, everybody's favourite, the Newcastle brown ale emblem. It, it just felt right, didn't it? It felt appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, time, times have changed. They have. OK, we're halfway through the show, mate. Time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors, Skips and Bins. You can find them at skipsandbins.com or telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website skipsandbins.com easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection big thanks to mr vicky's sources handmade in cumbria you can order them from their website mrvickys.co.uk or by telephoning 01768 210102 a big thanks also to new workwear uh, you can find them at newworkwear.com they're an agile and dedicated workwear provider Welcome back as well to United Travel. Uh, they are a UK coaches firm and they are based in uh, the Northeast. They've got 2024 tours and you can contact them on 01670 632 460 or mobile 0791 4174. Email info at com. And they've got a website, which is unitedgrouptravel.com. There's no strangers on there to us, just people you haven't met yet. Big thanks to them for their sponsorship. Big thanks as well to Media Arts, and they supply all the video technology. If you want to become a member and get a cup, a pen, a membership card, and a scarf, then get your smartphone and put it over this QR code. It will take you straight to the membership pack. It's a £25 one-off fee. You can also go to NUFC Matters website and search membership pack to book today. If you want to help the channel, then subscribe to it by hitting the subscribe button. Hit the thumb up under the video to like the video and click share to share to your other social media. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. Don't forget, we help the food bank on this channel. If you want to do so virtually, go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and make a donation today. The Alan Sheila raffle is back on. 150 tickets, £1 a ticket. Win a limited edition signed Alan Shira ball. Enter the day at nufcmatters.com. Second over the show, back with Ian Murder. I uh, just want to talk about VAR, uh, Ian. Um, hate, wow. I hate it. I hate it. I mean, Mike Dean, though, coming out on the Simon Jordan podcast um, yeah. and saying what he said. And then I was tuned in 
uh, before uh, when at the match at the weekend to watch Soccer Saturday. And of course, Mike Dean is is the referee who sits in the studio and gives us his views on controversial yep. decisions. So Simon That's, Thomas goes to him, asks him the question. That. Oh my God! I know. He took it. He took a bigger. He took a bigger he hole did. for himself. I mean, he Ian, well, should we just scrap it for now until we we get all of this sorted out? Do you think? Well. Well, listen, goal line technology, no problem with that. Brilliant. But but VAR, it's as subjective as a referee's decision was. It's still subjective. Your your listeners and your viewers, they they won't go to too many games outside the Premier League, I wouldn't have thought. But it's noticeable when you're watching uh, teams like Sunderland or Middlesbrough, when they, when they score goals, it's a slightly different reaction from the fans because there's not that doubt because there's no VAR. And, you know, it hasn't ruined football, but, you know, the, the spontaneity is in danger of going out of it. Now, what I'm, if we're going to keep it, and I, I suspect it will be kept, is when they're drawing that line for... Um, when they're drawing that line for offside, make the line thicker. Give the benefit of the doubt to the, to, to the, to the forward, to the attacking player. Maybe... You know, let's not talk about let's not talk about arms and where your arm is. Shouldn't it just be where the where the boot is? You know, where the, where where the boot's on the turf rather than the, the knee sticking out or the fingernail. I remember Chris Wilder during his Sheffield United days once talking about somebody's you know finger literally was was the reason the player was ruled offside. So yeah, I'm not a great fan of it, and I think football was probably better. Uh, before I'm not a dinosaur because I think the technology it's wonderful now the goal line technology is there and uh and you know I'm all in favor of so many introductions into into football yesterday I, I went to the Blythe Spartan Spennymo match and uh, it, it was a woman referee and she was absolutely outstanding and her assistants were male she was wonderful and she had a great rapport with the uh, with, with with the players and you know, I'd love to see see that that in football, but um, you know, let's some some innovations are good, some aren't so good. Yeah, I mean, you know, we watched the women's World Cup, and mm. in the women's World Cup, as it is in rugby, as it is in cricket, we can hear the decisions, and I think that's the most frustrating thing for me. You know, at St yeah. James's Park, for instance, I mean, I could name every I could name every Premier League ground and criticise something to do with VAR, but yeah. in Newcastle. Yeah. At the moment, at this moment in time, we only have one screen in the ground, which is up in level seven. Now, That's not everybody right. can see that screen. No. And if the person at pitch side doesn't relay the message that there's a VAR check to Rob Byron, yeah. who's the stadium announcer, then the issue is that people in the ground haven't got a clue what's going oh, on when the game right. is stopped. Yeah. And this is the problem. So it's if the it same was, in the press box. Yeah, yeah so you must be sitting there scratching your head going, well, is it a VAR check? Is there is a, a VAR? VAR? That's right. You know, at least in... in, um, in Cricket and tennis, it does work, mm. and uh, but in football, listen. In ten years' time, we might be saying how wonderful it is, and all the rough edges have been smoothed out, and 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 it works. But it it's not working properly, is it? No, definitely not working at this moment in time. Um, I tell you what else isn't working at the moment in in football in general, and that's the Spanish FA. Uh, they're all going oh, out on strike or resigning. What have you made of that? I, I mean, I've got to be honest. I sat there and watched the final, and then watched the presentation. I know. And like everybody else around the world, I was astounded at what this guy was doing. I mean, can you believe that he's he's had the the audacity not to not to resign now? 
this is, why did he do it? You know, he lost control of himself, basically. You know, mm-hmm. give, give them a hug in the same way a father would give a daughter a hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, slap them on the back. In the same, but don't, don't do that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, has, it has actually exploded, hasn't it? And yeah. I, I can't see any way back for the man. I mean, you know, basically, it, when you've got all these resignations because he's still in the job, then surely he must see common sense must prevail and he, he needs to step down. Mm. Getting back to Newcastle and, and Premier League football and Championship football, because you do cover Sunderland and Middlesbrough as well. Yep. There seems to be um, a big push for something that, you know, football clubs tried and the government tried in the 80s. Um, and what I'm referring to is is digital ticket. And, you know, essentially back in the 80s, Colin Moynihan under Margaret Thatcher, who was the sports minister, tried to bring in ID cards. And this That's was after... Right. This was, after, this was after the, the, the horrendous hooligan, hooliganism scene had taken off and there was people, you know, people injured and, you know, lots of horrendous scenes. Of course, we had Heisel, we had, you know, we had Hillsborough, we had the Bradford Fire, those horrendous incidents in the 80s and football stadia changed with the Taylor Report and so on and so forth. But what I'm getting at here is that digital ticketing has come in at Middlesbrough. It's come in at Sunderland and it's come yeah. in at Newcastle. In, mm. And really... It's been thrust upon us as a fan base, something we we aren't really all happy with, and it's changing the face of football. And we haven't really been asked about this. It's been put on us, Correct. and it's causing it's causing a lot of it's causing a lot of anxiety. It's causing a lot of grief, and you know I'll, I can really look at it from a Newcastle fans perspective. I know fans who, for the first two home games, have missed. 40, well, some people missed about 14 or 15 minutes for the first game. Yeah. On Saturday, uh, the Liverpool game, people missed about 10 minutes in the East Stand. So there's 25 minutes of football people in the East Stand have missed. I know people in the Melbourne Stand have had to queue up staircases, some people who, who, who struggle to, to, yeah. to stand for any length of time. Um, I'm sure there must be a health and safety issue with these kind of things. That's Newcastle in general. We saw Arsenal on the opening day of the season. The game had to be delayed by half, half, half an hour. That's right. Ian, is I mean, this seems to be something that's been brought in, like behind the scenes. And, and well, you're, you're right. It's it's it, it's be as 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 you said. It's just been presented as a fait accompli, hasn't it? And mm. uh, it's actually affecting members of my family. Two of my lads live in Manchester, but mm. uh, the there are with in the family group there was uh, th- four season tickets between five or six people now. In the past, it was just a case of you'd leave, you leave the the ticket at the family home and the card, the the card at the family home and they collect. And you, you can't do that now. I've got friends, I've got uh, friends who who live live a long way away, and they share season tickets. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, the three share one of them. That's going to present problems. Then, of course, you've got some of the older fans who might not have mobile phones, or they certainly don't have they don't have uh, you know Android or or iPhones, but mm-hmm. it's very hard. I've got, I've got an, an elderly auntie who's scared to go to car parks in, mm-hmm. in town because she because you know she she wants to put her money in the slot machines rather than rather than carry a phone around. So yeah, it, it is. I mean, I think the whole world now presumes everyone is uh, tech savvy and does all the latest equipment, uh, and it, it is a problem. Again, five ten years time, it will all get it will all get sorted out, but. Uh, Yes, I think I think this is 
a problem for football fans from Newcastle right down to Exeter. I mean, I think it needs to be looked at. I think, it does, it, the, yeah. I think, the, I think there's issues. I think, I think what they're trying to do is, I think football clubs as a whole are trying to gentrify the support. I think they're trying to force uh, certainly out of away games. I think mm. they're trying to stop certain fans going to away games, and you know, ultimately they've been the heartbeat of, of Newcastle United support yep. uh, for, for many, many years. And I think there was another instance. I mean, I could, I could reel off a load, but another one which surprised me: you're supposed to be able to transfer your ticket to somebody who's on your friends and family list for free. Yep. That's what they said. You can do it for free. Um, now, I know somebody who couldn't go to the Liverpool game at the weekend, who sits in a certain area of the ground. Yep. They went to transfer the ticket to somebody and they were charged £24.26 by the club. Now, this is supposed to be your ticket, which you purchased for that seat. And you and you're you supposed to be able to transfer that to somebody as long as they're in the friends and family. But yes. because it was against Liverpool... It's classified as a category A game. Now that means that the club are now, for one of a better expression, profiteering off my ticket or your ticket yeah. or my mate's ticket. Because if you want to sell your ticket at the game, they are now saying, right, well, if you want to do that, it's £24.26 because the ticket was £34. But because it's Liverpool, tickets in that particular area of the ground are £58 and whatever. So yeah. we want we want the difference. It's a, now, very, it, it's a very good point. And uh, there'll be numerous examples up down the country. In fact, you know, there'll be numerous examples. And I don't know the answer. I mean, you know, I'm privileged. I just flash my press card and I, and I get in. Mm -hmm. uh, members of my family, they're, they're far more uh, au fait with what is happening and the problems that are, they're encountering. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, you, you cover the northeast beat. Let's let's just have a little chat about um, you know Sunderland and Middlesbrough. And the reason I'm yeah. doing that is because you and I both are on uh, the Tune Radio, yeah. um, which um, is by the fans for the fans and uh, set up by a good pal of ours. And um, uh, tell us first of all the show that you're doing. Well, the show I'm doing and is called Black and White and Red all over, and it's uh, seven to eight on a Friday night, immediately after the Three Legends. Now. What's happening, unlike your show, which is specifically for for Newcastle audience, it's for it's when the three stations come together to make Northeast Radio, Cats Radio, Reds Radio, Tune Radio. So there were people listening from Tyneside, Wearside, Teesside, and all parts in between. So yeah, I've got to concentrate on on, on all th on all three clubs. Got to, I, I want to, you know, it, I, mm -hmm. I like I've been covering. The, the northeast patch for so long now that uh, you know I'm an unashamed fan of all three. Sorry, people might not like that, but I want them all to succeed well. So yes, it's been going well so far. I had uh, my good friend Michael Bridges uh, as a guest on the on the first show. Uh, Keith Downey was on the second. I had the Newcastle press officer Ryan Parrish, uh, the media manager, on. And uh, this week uh, on Friday, I, I'll always have a journalist as well, but I always try and bring a, a, another guest as well. And uh, I'm going to have uh, a guy called Matt Ketchell, who is, a, is the deputy editor of 442 magazine. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's it celebrated its 30th anniversary, 442, next, next year. And this is the first time that uh, Newcastle United have been on the front cover it's in all that time. So I'm going to talk to him about, you know, what the, mag what the magazine... You know, it, it's not a newspaper. It's uh, 
what 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 it does. It likes to look at the foreign football, European football, left field football, non-league football. So I'm looking forward to having a chat with him about it as well. Yeah, um, I, I follow Ketch on Twitter and saw the the, the design, and it's absolutely yes. fantastic. It's well, worth, well worth getting a copy of that, and yes. um, you know, it, it'll be a good read, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, yeah, superb. Well, yeah, don't forget you can catch you in um, on a Friday night, seven to eight. That's uh, well worth tuning into. Um, the Champions League, Ian. It's a while yep. since we stood at St James's Park and heard that wonderful music. How much are you yep. looking forward to that? It's going to be tremendous, isn't it? I've got to tell you this story when. Uh, the first, that famous Barcelona game back in uh, in '97. I was working for the Journal at the time, and I'd just been given this new state-of-the-art computer. And at the end of the game, I was so pleased with what I'd written, but suddenly the sidebar came up. I thought, "What the hell do I do here? Do I press cancel? Do I press abort? I pressed abort. I lost everything. Unfortunately, my adrenaline was just so high at the time. At the there were still copy takers in those days. So and the deadline, I had about 20 minutes. I just had lived this report and it came across all right because it would be, it's probably the one game in the world I was able to do that because it was just such a tremendous game. And, uh, you know, going back to that game again, everyone talks about Keith Gillespie and Tino Estrella quite correctly, but they forget what a magnificent performance Shea Given gave in the last half hour of that game. And Newcastle could quite easily have lost. So, you know, let's have, let's have more games like that. Uh, it, it would be tremendous. And listen, I know I've got mates who are they're looking at flight details. And the second the draw's made, they're going to try and book flights. And uh, they think they're going to, they think they found the shortcut saying, oh, well, if, if we fly from Edinburgh, it would be £200 cheaper than if we fly from Newcastle. It's all the fun of it, isn't it? You know, yeah, it, it's, it's it great fun. I, I remember, I remember back in um, in the about twenty years ago when both Middlesbrough and Newcastle were in Europe, and we we actually thought now we, we could actually choose which one we went to. It was fantastic, you know. When uh, there was one time I think Middlesbrough, Villarreal, and Newcastle at Sachau, and half the northeast press lads chose Sachau, half of them chose Villarreal, and you know, but it, yeah, great days, great days. How much do you think that's going to impact on Newcastle's Premier League season? We don't know, but it will impact. Now, the squad is stronger now. We know that. But, uh, you know, people talk about Thursday night football impacting more than more than Tuesday or Wednesday night football. I've never I've never understood that because if you're playing a Thursday, you go to a Sunday, you know. So I've, I've never understood that. It, it remains to be seen. It is going to be new. For, it's going to be new for um, everyone, you know fans, uh, journalists, but above all, the, the, the team and, and the management. And it, it can be an energy stopping. I remember, again, going back to those days, uh, Alan Shearer's testimonial mm-hmm. was uh, the, it was the day after Middlesbrough had lost the UEFA Cup final in Eindhoven. And we were all absolutely shattered because obviously a major European Cup final, we'd be, we'd be working, you know, so, uh, 25 hours a day to, to get that done. And uh, I remember Shira came into the press room after it. He said, what's wrong with you lot? You look knackered. <laughs> Looks if you'd be playing. We were. I think we got in about five that morning. But yeah, it just, it changes everyone's schedule. It changes everyone's life. It, it's certainly more exciting and uh, uh, bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, I mean, for you, Ian, you know, as, as a reporter and, and covering the Newcastle beat as you do, would you say that 
it's more important Newcastle winning some silverware or qualifying for Europe? Oh, six million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, silverware, mm. silverware. Having said that, I'm not the biggest fan. I, 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 as as a kid, I never ever mourned a League Cup defeat. I always mourned an FA Cup defeat. The FA Cup meant something to, to me as as a kid, and losing games in January that that hit hard. You know, League Cup. I could I could um, give a take. So I, I would prefer personally to scrap the League Cup, bring back replays, and and have the have the FA Cup back in its its, its old traditional way, which was the best competition in the world. Yeah, I mean, do you think you know that's what will kickstart Newcastle as a, as a big club once they get that elusive trophy? Because you know we're here to go on about it, you know. But yeah. Bob Moncur was the last person to lift one in nineteen sixty nine, yeah. and of course yeah. we haven't won a we haven't won a domestic trophy since fifty five, you know, with the FA yeah. Cup. And in thirty five years of uh, covering Northeast football, the only the only trophy I've seen was Middlesbrough winning the uh, the, the, mm. the League Cup at uh, Bolton at, at uh, the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Listen, Newcastle are, will be, and always have been a big club. So Sunderland, you know, everyone says what 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 um, what constitutes a big club. Well, you know, fan base. To to mm-hmm. me, it's got to be fan base, and uh, you know, Newcastle are one of the best supporter clubs in in Europe, and you know, I'm sure. Newcastle fans, yes, we, uh, they take the mick out of Sunderland, but they, they look and they think 42,000 in that division when, you know, what they've gone through, that's pretty good. Northeast fans are magnificent. And, you know, Middlesbrough, it's a smaller fan base, but uh, their away following is superb, absolutely superb. So they're, they're not, not as big, but yes, Manchester City, because of what they've done in the last decade or so, they have become a big club. They, are they as big as Manchester United? Probably not. My, as I said, two of my sons are living in Manchester, and they were brought up thinking Manchester is full of City fans, and all United fans live in London, etc., and Brighton. And they said, basically, there's, a, there's three or four Manchester United fans for every City fan in, in, in the city of Manchester. Mm. So, yeah. Are we going to see? Oh, go on. Are we going to see Sunderland or Middlesbrough back in the Premier League anytime soon, do you think? Uh, I don't know. A little bit worried about Middlesbrough. They, I've seen two of the, the games. They're unconvincing. And Steve, what they did last year, they got some excellent loan signings in. Mm. Now, the problem with that is that the moment they lost in the playoffs, those players weren't going to come back. They've lost Akbom as well. And... Uh, so yeah, they're they're having to rebuild big time. Sunderland, I mean, my goodness, you know, if Newcastle fans are long suffering, the nose ones down the road are even more so. Sunderland have got they've connected with the fans again, and that 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 team that squad's got um, it's got real identity. Very very young squad. They do play super football. Far too early to say, let's see if this Ukrainian striker, whose name I forget, is going to come in. Let's see if Ross Stewart gets fully fit and to score goals. They've got some very, very exciting youngsters. And, and I defy even the, the most blinking Newcastle fan to dislike Tony Mowbray. He's a lovely guy. In fact, we've got 
the, the, the three guys managing managing the three big northeast clubs uh, of highly likable uh, individuals. Tell us about young Riggs as well. I mean, you know, Newcastle United let him uh, slip through the net. How big a player is he going to be? He certainly, um, he made his debut, of course, That's last cool. season. Yeah. But but um, that kid looks like he's got goals in him, and um, I think he'd be unleashed sooner rather than later. Well, as I say, uh, yeah, he's a he's a good player. He hasn't had his chance yet this season, although he did score in, a pre, in their pre-season two of the US. Uh, he's good. He's good. Uh, the 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 one that I really like is Dan Ballard, the uh, big centre half who they got from Arsenal, mm-hmm. and Pierre Equa, the uh, young lad in midfield who they got from West Ham. Those, those two out, outstanding prospects. So it's great. It was funny, as I said, I mentioned you before, and uh, I went to Blythe yesterday and I, I bought the program, and mm-hmm. I've forgotten who the guy was, but the, uh, the feature was. Who's the best player you've ever played with? And he said, Chris Rigg. Who's the hardest opponent? He said, Lewis Miley. So, and he said, you know, it's it's great in this area that we've got uh, two of the hottest pros- prospects in, in the country. Good to see Newcastle bringing in some young players as well. I mean, obviously, mm. we've, we've got a few coming through the academy. We've got Lewis Miley, as you mentioned, Elliot yeah. Anson, a bit of success with him. We've got one or two others coming through. Newcastle as well also seem to be uh, now doing something that they haven't done for years, which is buying young, young players in. And we saw the first signing of the summer was Jan Kuba Minte. They obviously signed Garen Kual uh, last year. That That's important yeah. as well, isn't it? Building building the youngsters and building teams for the future. It is. It is. And... Uh... If it let's cast our minds back 30 years, Steve, and mm-hmm. uh, when you know Kevin Keegan did a great job at Newcastle, but he also did untold damage getting rid of the reserve side, if you remember, because um, I think there was a rule change that they weren't allowed to play at uh, was it Gated Stadium, yeah. Uh, and basically, you know, you, when, when you're taking away that tier, then it does more damage in the medium to long term than, than you realise at the time. And so, yes, you know, Newcastle and any club needs to be successful at, at all levels. Or well, not necessarily successful, but the, that, that conveyor belt needs to keep on moving. And if it stalls, then it can prove very costly for a club. It can prove very dangerous for a club. Mm. Finishing up on, on Newcastle, then, just... just... You know, you mentioned the support. You know, we've got a full stadium, um, again, 52,000. And Newcastle developing the corporate areas as well. Ticket prices are going to go up. Um, yeah. But the, the demand is clearly there. Um, you know, they brought out a membership scheme. You know, thousands of people have joined that and, um, you know, in the hope of getting a ticket. They're going to have to expand. They're certainly looking at expanding. You know, is is that something that you're you're a supporter of? First of all, seeing the ground expand, and would you support a move away from St James's if it was if it was needed to get more people in? No, to the second question, Newcastle's the best located stadium in England, bar none. Uh, the the only one I can compare it to is the Millennium Stadium in, in Cardiff. H- huge asset for 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 the city. And you know they call it the, the cathedral on the hill, and and it is. You see it driving across the Tyne Bridge or just before the Tyne Bridge. And by the way, isn't it great that that's going to get redecorated because <laughs> it's been an embarrassment for too many years? And uh, listen, I mean, it it is going to it is going to um, be costly. It's it there's going to be a disruption, 
but the, yes, you, you know, you've got to have you, you, you've you've got to have the supply to satisfy the demand. Now, Newcastle clearly aren't going to be you, they're, they're a boom club. Now, if bust comes, it's going to be a long, long time in the future, if at all. So, they were, Newcastle could easily fill 60, 62, 70,000. You know, I wouldn't go too too much more than that because I think, from a business point of view, the, the club probably it's always healthy for a club when when you, you have got so much demand. But uh, yeah, it, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that. Just let, let's let's not forget Freddie Shepherd. Uh, he planned he planned on. Um, expanding it in his time and of course the feasibility study was was uh drawn up uh for, behind the gallagher then there's going to be a casino hotel and then immediately when mike ashley came in he cancelled that and it was uh put into cold storage for all these years yeah interesting stuff uh that's a great hour ian uh delighted to have you on the platform yeah, it's lovely, steve yeah great great to be reunited uh, we'll get you back on again if you're up for it and um Keep up the great work on, on the radio show, mate. Look forward to listening to that every Friday night at 7 o'clock, mate. But, uh, Ian, thanks very much, mate. Catch up soon. Take care. All the best, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye.